as the swim gets fierce and the fierce gets swimming, slicing the chop with front-crawling arms and snarfing air from half-time mouths. They gasp, and the lighthouse light shuts off, shrouding the swimmers and the sinkers in the same circumstance, rolling through the black without a beacon. On the doorstep of the void, lapped at by ocean waves, one creature stumbles off the screen, beckoning the camera down the stone slab staircase by a starlit beach. And the creature almost trips on a trail as tailing his lambas. A trail of audio files. The Cosmos. Just if everyone could get closer to the mics, that'd be cool. But um, closer. Do you need yeah. to uh, introduce me that I'm in? The yeah, no, actually, I, I was I was gonna say just before we, yeah. we start, we could just just go around because I also think in in our in the first podcast we didn't actually properly introduce ourselves. You three don't need to, but maybe just mention to your fans. Oh, yeah. we got another guy in here. Yeah, yeah, just, just do that. zero of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Ooh. yeah. I don't even think someone's accidentally stumbled upon this. I, 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 I have sent the link to some one person at work. Right, right. I've, I've sent it to 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 a few friends. A, people just do nothing. Yeah, that show is so good. That's <laughs> like what we're like. All right, okay. For the sake of our of our two fans, uh, which <laughs> may or may not uh, include my sisters, of which there are two. Um, <laughs> we have here Joe Harris. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, Joe, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Uh, I'm Joe. I went to school with these fellas. And, um, Nicely. Yeah, just here for Christmas. Wanted to, wanted to hop on a podcast. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, show, I mean, we, yeah, we did like what seven years of, of secondary school together. Uh, long time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, so Joe actually came to jump on the podcast and have a conversation. And today's topic of conversation is conversation. conversation. Yes. So uh, I just want to start off on that line on the definition of conversation as listed as the exchange of thoughts and feelings by means of speech or sign language. Um, so human beings have four senses being touch, hearing, taste and sound. And thinking on this topic, I thought that conversation or speech would be the most effective way to transmit information between people in the shortest amount of time of these four senses. I think that's why conversation is so important in our lives compared to these other senses. And then I got to thinking, what was the first conversation about? What was the first human conversation about? And then when I was thinking on this topic, Perhaps it even predates speech, because if you look at bees, they have these little dances they do to each other to signal where pollinated plants are. Um, so perhaps uh, whether or not you want to put it in the category of conversation, it's something as simple as uh, this mushroom is poisonous by signaling and doing a vomiting sign. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be an interesting conversation to have later on. Uh, what was the first conversation? If you guys have any thoughts. And um, I just wanted to, to finish off my little introduction here with just positing this, this theory out there that um, gossip within humans is actually what allowed tribes to expand and stabilize. And I think Joe's going to quip in about this a little bit later with something a bit more interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's perhaps the ability to gossip behind the leadership's back and to complain about the decisions and how they affect your life allows you an avenue for your frustration different to direct confrontation. And without this direct confrontation, we were able to make civilization, able to have peace and stability within groups. So that's just one part of conversation gossip. Yeah. And uh, given that, I'd like to throw it over to Will and see what he's got to say. Yes, thank you. That's uh, that's very interesting. 
I mean, you know, there's uh, there's lots of gossip sites going around at the moment. Um, I mean, e- even on Reddit, there's um, there's one that's just all about different celebrities. You know, uh, I I actually uh, saw something the other day on a video actually just to like pick up on you, what you said, Nib. That um, you know, a lot of us can name you know Pete Davidson's last two girlfriends, right? But we can't even name the foremost um, important um, substances in the atmosphere. That's just something to consider, but. Going back to conversation, just wanted to um, bring up this quote from somebody called Heinrich von Kleist. So he was a German bloke in the 1800s, and he wrote an essay called uh, On the Gradual Construction of Thoughts During Speech. And this is uh, one extract. So he says, if there's something you want to know, and you can't discover it by meditation, then... I advise you to discuss it with the first acquaintance whom you happen to meet. He need not have a sharp intellect, nor do I mean that you should question him on the subject. No! Rather, (laughs) you should begin by telling it all to him. I can see you opening your eyes wide at this and replying that in former years you were advised never to talk about anything that you do not already understand. In those days, however, you probably spoke with the pretentious purpose of enlightening others. I want you to speak with the reasonable purpose of enlightening yourself. The French say the appetite comes in eating. And this maxim holds true when parodied into the idea comes in thinking. So the appetite comes in eating, the idea comes in thinking, I suppose. I thought that was quite quite a neat phrase, really. I think what he's trying to say there is that sometimes... You know, we can kind of get stuck in our thoughts, can't we? And if we, you know, just talk to somebody about it, we can actually find that during the discussion, whether because of their responses or because we want to get our point across, we end up um, actually developing that thought or that idea further with somebody else than we would have if we were just thinking about it uh, in our own minds. So I think... um, you know, that's um, certainly one benefit of conversation that you can actually develop thoughts. I thought that was quite interesting. And then another thing I'd just like to put forward, a couple of more smatterings of ideas before passing over to Stephen. One of them is, um, you know, we just saw there with the Kleist quote that uh, conversation has certain benefits for developing your ideas. And conversation, I think, also proves that... I am not the only person in the world because my ideas aren't accurate without input from other people. And I can't determine the input of other people. For example, you know, you're familiar with the brain in a vat idea that, you know, everybody is just a brain or, you know, I'm the only person who exists, whoever I happen to be. And, uh, you know, I'm just a brain in a vat. And, you know, everything that happens is just a projection, a creation of my own mind. But there's many times where I found... You know, I was surprised by what somebody said or what somebody did. And I thought I could never have imagined that in my own head. So unless this vat that we're in is so advanced that it can create these external actors um, and get them to like do stuff to us so that we are, you know, changing our thoughts. I think conversation is proof that it's a proof against solipsism, basically. Solipsism being the idea that I am the only person in existence. Another idea there is, um, you know, how a conversation can reduce paranoia. So I've got an interesting anecdote. We might be able to come back to that later. Also wanted to mention Hikikomori. These are the uh, class of people in Japan. Hikikomori. Basically, I think it means something like, um, you know, uh, it's something like vegetable people or something. But basically... In Japan, there's lots of people who just, you know, these guys just sit in their, in their flat all day. They never go outside. They never have a conversation with anybody except on Reddit. So what is the difference between, you know, talking to somebody in person and talking to somebody on the internet? There's that phrase, isn't there? It's good to talk. Um, final thing I just wanted to say, actually, is Nib. I thought it was very interesting that you said, you know, um, you, you, you isolated conversation as a sense. So that immediately makes me think of the other senses, you know? And you, you also define conversation as something that exists both in dialogue and in sign language. 
Now, sign language is for deaf people. What does sign language require? The it requires sight. So my, you know, what that's kind of making me think now is, you know, how does sight and vision influence conversation? You know, what you say or the conversation that you have isn't just the words that you say, but it's also facial expressions, gestures, which can steer the conversation in a certain direction. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Um, Stephen, uh, uh, over to you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, it's it's interesting how, like, we can pick a topic and everyone kind of responds to it in a different way. Because I, I, I feel Nibe, you know, you responded to it strongly in this kind of idea of conversation as communication, conversation from an evolutionary perspective. And then, Will, like, you've you've got this conversation as an intellectual tool and as 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 a way of i mean you 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 both said a lot of things but uh as as a way of understanding the world better a way of understanding others uh better and and i mean i i resonate so strongly with that because i find you can there's there's this concept in programming called rubber duck and it's when you're trying to understand something and what some people i don't actually know anyone who does this in real life but it's an idea where you have a rubber duck on your desk and you just talk at the rubber duck what you're trying to process <laughs> in your head and it helps you understand what it oh, is you wow. got you got yeah I love that. Wow. yeah and i mean often we'd, we'd use each other as other as rubber ducks like i might call up a colleague and just try and and just the process of talking helps me figure out exactly what i'm thinking mm. um but but that's kind of more what I gravitated towards when we we decided on this topic was not you know conversation as as a communication but it was conversation as a way of knowing yourself and understanding your own state because you know this was something I was reflecting on last week actually of how much of our own inner state is is unknowable so you know you you have this idea in in quantum mechanics of of a wave function and like there's all kinds of if you look up on the internet like quantum mechanics and metaphysics there's all kinds of random stuff which is people kind of really read into quantum mechanics a lot of stuff to do with consciousness and i'm not sure how much of it's legit but there's this idea that stuff collapses into an observable state when you measure it and i feel in some way maybe the the way the brain works is we have all these ideas and thoughts and concepts some of which we're not even fully conscious of and by articulating them or having someone else articulate it, it suddenly snaps into place and we understand it. And and I think that's why sometimes when, when we listen to music or when someone else says something in a really poignant way, it just really resonates with us almost as if it was our own thought. And I it's it's almost like as as a species we have a limited ability to understand things to kind of a limited cognition ability and we need to distribute cognition to our friends right we can only mm. really fully understand things through other people and through reflecting other people comparing notes checking we're not mad right you, you might see something you might read something on the news and uh you, you know especially as a kid you know as a kid you don't know what the right way to react to something is and so you go ask your your parents why why you go chat to your your friends about it and you create this kind of group consensus and i mean th- that in itself is very interesting because then you get into this whole idea of group think of everyone thinking the same thing does everyone have to think the same thing but yeah i, I feel like the, the older i get the, the more i realize we're really not independent at all in the way we think and it kind of scares me a bit, actually. I, it's not something I'm comfortable with, uh, how much we rely on other people to understand the world. But um, yeah, but that's that's kind of what, what came to my mind. Uh, yeah, o- o- over to Joe. Well, there's a lot to unravel there. <laughs> um, I think, uh, well, I haven't, I haven't um, sort of prepped any points. I thought I, thought I would try and um, bounce off what's been said. Um, I think I'll start with uh, Will's comment about um, a progression of like intellectual conceptual ideas using other people um, to pro- to progress your thoughts. And mm. it just, I mean, my background is in education at the moment, and um, there's a great quote that I love. And 
well, it's not even a quote. I think there's been a lot of science and research done on it, but it's the single greatest factor to how much somebody can learn is what they already know. And I see this all the time uh, with the kids that I teach is you have to discern what they already know before you can move on. And I think conversation is great. It's, it is the tool of abstraction, I feel like. It's the first human ability to abstract what is going on up in the dome, I think. Um, I think writing came much later than even mathematics, I think. And this ability to sort of put down ideas in a sort of compact format, and we use the voice to do that. And I think because it's so second nature to us, we don't, re we don't recognize it as an abstraction. And it's become so powerful. I think we even think in words as well. Like we think in conversation as well. Mm. And that, that draws back to your rubber duck idea, I think, Steve, because we can get so caught up in our own ideas that just even getting them out, like getting them, getting them on the page or on the canvas or like towards an inanimate object is such a powerful tool of abstraction. And it allows us to sort of funnel those concepts in our mind. Yeah. I think mm. two of the things you just said there were incredibly profound in my opinion. So the externalizing of what goes inside your head is like, I think that's an amazing way to view conversation. And if you look at other animals, they don't have that. And you can see why, if you can't understand what's going on in someone's head, the only resort, you can only resort to violence mm. or physicality in order to yeah, solve yeah. the situation. And I think, the other thing you just mentioned is we think in words. Well, I, don't you know, consider, I don't know if we do all the time. But, well, yeah, yeah, there's also there's also abstract thinking as well. But mm. you're right. Well, especially if you want to communicate it, then it has to be distilled down into words. Mm. But in that sense, could you say a word is a single unit of thought? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, so I've I've dabbled in art. I'm a mathematician. That's my job. So I guess. I think a word is just a tool, like the same way a number system is a tool, the same way like a, you know, a technique in art is a tool. It, I don't know if you can put it into units. I don't think it's, it's not this discrete thing. I think that's just a continuous flow of consciousness. I think that's just my opinion. I think, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'll weigh in on that if I, if I, if I can, actually. I, I, I think that, you know, what is a word? Because that, that, uh, that is the basic unit of conversation. It's mutually agreed upon sound to signpost to a concept. Right, and, and, and it's like, you know, it goes back to the idea, right, that you, you brought up earlier of what is the first conversation? I mean, to even take that further back and say, how did language develop? You know, maybe language first began and the first word kind of began as a signpost for a concept now what could that concept have been you know it could have been something that needs to be talked about like you know an, a natural disaster or i don't know a source of water or you know family maybe or family or you know a herd of wildebeest over there so you know i think the original words were probably just names for one thing right like this is table I'm, and I'm pointing for our listeners out there, <laughs> pointing to an actual table. But maybe the original way of using the word was to say, this is table, and it's a name for the table. Whereas you can, I think, have levels of abstraction, right? Because, you know, then you get to, the, it's like you get to the point where you can say tables in general. You know, there's multiple tables. We have, we were able to think about, you know, we're able to abstract from the things we see around us and say, okay, there's these things called tables, you know, and they might be long or they might be short. Or, you know, they might be, you know, like wooden or metal, but they're all tables because they have certain properties which they share. Um, and then you can you can get an even further level of abstraction, which would be something like, you know, politics or, you know, religion or, you know, existence. So I, I think it's probably, you know, you know, I don't know like what we think about that, but maybe like... You know, language probably started off in a very practical way, you know, whether yeah, it was, absolutely. you know, family or, or animals or, or nutrition or direction. Um, but then 
is it is it almost you know as well as being a practical tool something that sort of like self develops on its own it gets a life of its own you know and these concepts kind of feed back of each other and then you get to the point where you know many philosophers will say it's absurd to even talk about you know what is um you know what is um i don't know what is right you know within ethics what is right because it just it, it's just a word that happens to be created it doesn't right. mean anything right. so could we see could we see language as something that kind of just develops of its own accord and feeds back of each other but isn't necessarily meaning anything i, th- I think that that leads really nicely into a question i had to steven regarding hmm. one thing he said and and um how how we actually might not be so individual in our thinking but isn't some level of that required Stephen, for us to even have a conversation we have to agree upon a common substrate in which we ask yeah yeah so a sacrifice is required in order to even have a conversation in the first place yeah there is maybe room for individuality but you also need group thinking in that way yeah no i i think i was i wasn't trying to say that group thinking is all there is um i i think what i was trying to say was i've i've kind of come to appreciate it's a much bigger thing than i realized um and it's kind of a, a powerful force in in how we develop as as society and and as a culture but you're right in that you know if if you don't have that level of of group cohesion you can't communicate to begin with even just a, a very because si- the thing about c- conversation is there's the text and then there's the subtext it's there's what you say and what you don't say so like you know you, mm. even if you you have someone and like you speak the same language in a literal sense and you both know what the word table means if i were to walk into a room and say uh that's a nice table right that might be fine for someone but for someone else the fact that i didn't you know add a particular refer to them by their proper title like you know in india uh i you know you might need to call someone uncle they might take that rude so th- th- there's all these other yeah, things around it and like yeah it's or, or like you know you, you you walked into a room and like i don't know just just a, a an imagination that you know you you're about to get married and like the person you're about to marry has put a lot of effort into their appearance and you walk in and in that context you say that's a nice table (laughs) why are you talking about the table right did did you see what i mean it's like there's yeah it's really there might also be something to that where um if you don't have commonalities that might cause friction so an example i can think of and I'm, i'm nowhere near an expert but in the chinese language it works a little bit differently so in the uh indo european languages you have subject uh verb object or the other way around mm-hmm. can't remember which okay yeah, yeah and then in china I eat table yeah in china it's they, they don't uh use sentence structure in that way it's almost like um the verb is separate from the person who is performing it like mm. the verb is the the main part mm. and you just happen to be oh that's so interesting right so it's, it's something as fundamental as that difference in the language something that causes a barrier to communication or understanding and then can lead to that's things. so interesting do you yeah. think that's why over in the east they've got to have a little bit more of a group group well, mentality yeah. yeah because there's less of an idea of, of the individual of the object and subject wow. it's, it's the verb is the do, the doing of the thing is paramount it's like its own. That's the important part of the sentence. To them. Yeah. Whereas with us, the important part is who's doing it mm. and who's yeah. it getting done to. Wow. So it makes me wonder what small talk is is like like in a language which doesn't have subject, verb, object. You know, I mean, is it less about oh, did you see what Karen was doing over by the water cooler <laughs> the other day, and more like oh, you know, I was considering the concept of two hammer, and. Um, you know, then I realized that it could mean either to uh, nail something into a table or to, you know, drink too much. Like, is it more conceptual small talk? Is the reason why gossip, you know, when I think of gossip, I basically think of bitchiness and of talking about people. And so there's no, there's no gossip except around people, is there? Well, I've uh, just about that to do with gossip from what I understand from friends I have from East Asia, there is a lot of gossiping uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> that that is very much still I mean, a big can, can, can i just like a half joking thing yeah yeah can i just jump in there joe did you mention that this might even be genetically encoded in us 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I this is a spurious link to something I read years ago, but um, I think part of the um, human condition is this ability to gossip. It is what made us a, a successful species. And maybe that's tied into the ability to communicate with voice, um, which seems very unlikely for other animals. But mm. I mean, I don't. We don't observe animals talking, but yeah, maybe yeah. they do. They, maybe they have. Dolphins they have. Can, but... Yeah, they have analysed dolphins have, um, have regional dialects. Even yeah, crazy. Really I have rough. to ask Joe, with your interest in in re Russian literature, do you do you find yourself noticing any differences in in conversation in those um, books or how they view it? Maybe not so much conversation, yeah. but maybe it, it, it comes down to culture, maybe, I would mm -hmm. say. Um, that probably ties into what you've been speaking about by the, with the subcontinent and mm -hmm. maybe a proclivity towards a, a tribalness due to their language and choice of like word structure. But in, in, Rus in Russian literature, I mean, my favourite, um, one of my favourites is Anton Chekhov. And he wrote a you know short story, a play called The Seagull. It's like... Very famous in Russia, he's sort of the the, the grandfather of um, literature, kind of like Shakespeare would be in this country. And there's this this beautiful sort of quote or like distilled part of their culture, which is, you know, one of one of the main characters wants to catch a seagull, or you know, he wants to hold the seagull. And there's this idea, you know, he distills it down to like, if you want to hold the seagull, you have to kill it first. And it it almost ties into that sort of quantum observable mm. nature and i think it, it it's this idea in russia that sometimes you just got to let things go and maybe we can't do that in the west very easily there's not this i there's not this sort of um ability to just be mindful of something as it is mm. and there's this maybe entitlement of like oh i can i can make a difference no matter what and i don't think that's seen in a lot of sort of eastern cultures mm. But yeah, I mean, it's just something I'm really, I, I find fascinating, you know, their ability to describe the human condition. Yeah. But that's not necessarily a conversation, that's, that's literature, isn't it? So and it might just be because the unique history of Russia and the suffering they've gone through that they're able to go yeah, absolutely, into those yeah. depths. Yeah. yeah. I, had, I had a thought, uh, and it ties into quite a lot of the points we're making, and the way I view philosophy is sort of, everyone's personal user interface to the universe how you, you philosophy isn't to me like a universal way of living is it? Mm. everyone has their own user interface and it's sort of like you have built-in reactions where you think about like if this happens this is what i do mm. and that's sort of what your individual morality is and then maybe conversation if i'm using continuing this analogy of interface is the upgrades or updates to your user interface. yeah how you yeah. how you receive these how you how you <laughs> sort of um, even ascertain whether or not your interface is working correctly. Um, so I just thought that was an analogy, really, I could have used to, to sum up some of the things we've been saying. Can I make a little... Uh, Go ahead, man. Like interjection. Yeah. I, I Maybe then uh, yeah. listening for some people would just be looking at the user license agreement. Some people just <laughs> click agree. Don't <laughs> we? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even got to listening yet, have we? Oh, yeah, it's so true. So if, if yeah. we're looking at... How to how to get more out of conversation, given that we've talked about conversation. So I'll freely admit to um, struggling greatly with small talk. The the I, the way I currently view it is it's sort of the bridge you have to get through to a like establish commonality, common ground, uh, comfort, and then you can go on to what you need to get to maybe. Um, but. And, uh, so that's that's one thing I just want to put out there. The other thing is, I think one significant difference from conversation I had younger in my life to now is perhaps earlier when I was more stubborn, I thought there was this universal right or wrong. And when someone said something which was against how I viewed the world, I would fight them. Like, why don't you think this way? Mm. Whereas now I'm much more open to everyone having their own individual truths and just listening. And do you, do you find that, you know, conversation is almost like tourism in that way? Like you can go, hmm, I wonder what this person thinks Absolutely. about the world. You can, you can, yeah. Once you start to have that idea that, you know, people have their own truths, you you know, I, I found this myself that, like, you know, you can kind of talk to people, you know, with just the goal of trying to kind of figure out what their mental landscape is. Like, you know, if I say this or if I push that button, what will they say? Or, you know, more sort of conceptually, you know, if I raise the topic of, 
you know, this particular political issue, you know, what will they say or what will their opinion be about it? You know, do do you find that that has changed how you kind of approach small talk? Well, I'm really I'm I'm still terrible at at small talk, and perhaps (laughs) this is a problem of. I don't know if you guys could could suggest something. It'd be great. How, how to get more out of conversation? Yeah. I, I have a suggestion, yeah. which is, you know, um, I, I mean, I think part of the issue is like whether you can be bothered with small talk. And you know, a lot of the time with me personally, you know, especially at work, it's like I can't, um, I can't be bothered to actually talk to somebody. Right? I'd rather just get on with the work. But I think. Uh, you know one method you can use one method you can use i can't remember the exact name but we'll post it um you know in the description of the uh, of the uh, episode on spotify um it essentially works by stages so you would always begin with stage one and the purpose of this module okay is to avoid oversharing because if you overshare and for example you're meeting somebody for the first time and you, you start talking about you know, the massive shit you took last night because you had a big big curry or whatever. (laughs) They're going to be thinking, you know, some people, of course, you might skip stages one through five of intimacy and be like, oh, that's that's funny. But for most people, they're going to think this is, most people are kind of turned off by oversharing. So you would begin with stage one, which involves, you know, um, conversations about the weather, conversations about, you know, how was your commute today or commute, you know? Um, And then you monitor their response and if they respond in kind like you know if they're kind of playing the game and they're saying oh yeah i know i can't wait for summer then you go okay you know they're, they're playing the game and you sort of have the you know ability to move to step two which would be about you know general concepts such as the state of the economy um you know world peace or what have you if they respond to that in kind you can move on to step three which is your personal opinions about this matter then you can move on to step four, which is, you know, how you've been feeling lately or, you know, uh, you know, an illness or, or whatever. And it kind of goes through all up to stage 10, which is, you know, just the most intimate situation you could possibly have where you're telling somebody thoughts that you've never expressed before. And that's when conversation becomes like immediate translation of, you know, inner thoughts into into speech. So... That is one method you can no, use. I like I'll, fi- I'll, fi- I'll find mm. the name of this system, but it's all stage-based, like one through ten, I believe it is. Um, that, this is exactly that, so yeah. what I need in my life. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, <laughs> it's I can, very, I can very use simple, it as well. but it kind of works. <laughs> you know? I, would, I would take, I mean, my personal experience, I would take that with a pinch of salt because you're relying on the other person following the same game. Right, but I don't. you don't have to stick to it rigidly. Like right. You'd have to... Okay. It's like how you have a tactic in football, right? If yeah. the other team does something, then you just find a different way of getting right. to it. And and I think the end point. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and I guess you know you are right, Joe. The the thing is, it's kind of like you know, if you start with stage one, and then they're saying you know fuck you, I'm going to talk about Pokemon or whatever, mm. then you know you're already <laughs> on to stage two, which is general concepts like you know, the state of the economy, world peace and Pokemon, right? So, you know, this 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 system is best for two, you know, introverted or closed off people who are both by default beginning at stage one. But yeah, you know, I mean, because then you have people, you know, who they might not even know each other that well, but they mm. immediately will try to get into a situation where they can gossip, mm. you know, because, because they understand that that's a method of, um, you know, increasing bonding. Mm. Um but yeah, it's it, it, it's it's one um, one option. I think it's actually called um, radical uh, radical um, dialectical behavioral therapy. There is a letter between R D B T. It's R something D B T, but it's radical something dialectical. Stephen, therapy. I wonder if you have any thoughts on this. Just following on from that, uh, we've we've talked a lot about conversation being about bonding. Hmm. And sort of nice things. Is there any room for conversation being useful for conflict or debate? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, is is there any form of conversation that's better than the others? If there is, yeah. Well, so I I mean I I think debate is a separate category there because it it kind of falls into the making sense of the world around you. So I I guess in my head I I think of debate in a in a pure sense of debate, not as in a 
TV debate, which is not really a debate. It's yeah. <laughs> it's a very gamed debate. But I guess maybe that that ties into it of using conversation as almost a weapon, as some kind of psychological weapon it, that it doesn't have to be for infliction of pain or superiority. It could just be for sport. You know, like uh, we find, I think everyone uh, uh, has uh, found uh, themselves. Yeah. Or yeah. refinement of ideas, right? You know, I, I put forward an argument, you come with a counter argument and I, and I, and I build on that and vice versa. Well, I, I, I think, I, I guess, I mean, maybe pain's in an extreme way of saying it, but like, I, I guess pretty much as soon as we discovered this ability to communicate ideas with each other through the medium of conversation or signing, I think something in the human nature realized this is an attack vector <laughs> right this is a means by which you can manipulate people this is a mean means by which you can character assassination and things like yeah char- character assassination by which you can undermine people assert dominance um just just any kind of of thing across that entire entire if, scale if you can't beat someone intellectually you can take the route of trying to invoke reactions from them yeah I mean, but that's so interesting. It's so frustrating. Every time that happens on TV, I get so irritated. But I guess it ties it to this thing that conversation has so many different uses. And like, it's not like, okay, we have this one type of conversation where uh, we discuss intellectual things and this other type, which we used to discuss our feelings. It's all the same language. And I think that's why we can switch so easily and why we can combine them so easily and get them confused. Um, yeah, that's... Uh... Would you would you say that's why, you know, are we all familiar in Twitter? Because I wasn't until a few weeks ago when somebody, you know, schooled me in this quite uncharitably, okay? But in Twitter, there's this concept of getting ratioed. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Basically, it, what it means is if you, put, if you post a tweet... Yeah, and you have you can either like somebody's tweet or you can comment on it. Yeah. So if there's more comments than likes, that means you got ratioed. That's what they say. And I've just thought, you know, if if there is an attack vector, as you said, to speech as as a, like a thing, is there is it does that somehow tie into that? Like, you know, if more people are commenting on something, they're much they're not likely to be saying, oh yeah, good comment. Good tweet. I oh, agree with that. okay. They're more likely to be saying, you know, fuck you or whatever. Whereas if they were, if they were being more sort of cordial, they would only press the like button. Or right. is that, or is that more? Maybe I'm just thinking now. Maybe that's more is... to do with the fact that the like button is available as such. You know, if, if there wasn't a like button, but instead a dislike yeah. button, then the ratio would be reversed. Of course. I, I think that that's a particular application of conversation due to the mechanics of is Twitter. Is that conversation? Yeah. Like, like Joe, do do you think? Twitter is conversation, isn't it? Because in the definition we've read out, it's an exchange of ideas. Mm. I think it's, it's abused so massively. It's um, it's its own little animal at this point, I think. Yeah, I mean, but cats have the bag now. Then. Yeah, and it, yeah. there's not really any way back. I mean, they did have a dislike button, didn't they? It was a like yeah. and a dislike. And the comment oh, section was very yeah. balanced. It was very much like, oh. oh, you know, if something was disliked heavily, people would come out in support verbally. Mm. It's almost like it, it adds more, a comment is more weighted. Mm. Hmm. But now they've got rid of the dislike button because everything people were getting bullied and they didn't like it. Even the whole concept of the platform, though, like a one-on-one conversation, you are theoretically equals. Obviously, you may not be in each other's minds. But on Twitter, uh, even starting off, whatever you would write has different weighting on it compared Mm. Because of how many followers you have, mm. I think so this is another yeah, element that's been introduced yeah. into. I think social. My my personal view of social media is it, it it's not, it isn't really a conversation. No, you you are just so. spewing yeah. thought onto page and letting go of that. Like, it's almost rubber duck, but people can then chime in, mm-hmm. and some people get that mixed up and they they really really focus on what's being responded to but right. it's a tool they take it personally even I, though it's rented yeah. the whole. I think it's a tool to just spout garbage and just yeah. wait. It, it, it's, it comes into this solipsism idea Will brought up at the beginning where mm. I think you, you can become so emotionally deaf that you just want, you're, instead of listening, you're waiting to speak again. Mm. Yeah. And Twitter's rife with that, people just trying to get their opinion out there, but they're not interested in anyone else's. Yeah. They're, not, they're not prepared to find something out there where they might be wrong. And that might tie into what you said when, when you were young. We, I think we had very similar experiences where... We think quite black and white, yeah. and if something is 
if, if we've got something wrong, like the fear of getting something wrong and having to change our whole concept of yeah. reality is so scary that you just, you just, you, you sort of like put a screen over anyone who's saying anything else. And as yeah. the, I think as I've got older, I've realized, you know, it, it's all fluid and my views change and the better I am at listening and talking to people, the quicker I can progress and like mm. become who I want to be. Well, just just on that, I think yeah, uh, I think that'd be the first mm. in a series where I reckon we should finish this episode off with each saying what we've learned today and how to better take get more out of conversation. Mm. I think Joe That's that good. perfectly encapsulates your answer. That's and um, so I, I would I would basically summarize that into being a better listener and then not necessarily taking the other person's view personally. Mm. Well, it's what I um I think I briefly mentioned this yeah. before we recorded, but the one thing. I thought I could bring up as a topic was uh, is empathy, the ability to empathize with someone different to being able to listen to someone? Because uh, I think a lot of people think they're the same. Yeah. Well, what, what is listening? When we say listening, is it just taking the words in? Or if you're being presented a concept from someone else, mm. is it basically really considering that concept could be true? Like seeing how that, how they could be right before responding to that is that real listening or is it just taking the words in and then responding how you I, would have responded yeah, i think my my initial reaction yeah. or thought was listening is is the act of trying to comprehend mm -hmm. what has been said yeah and empathy is an ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and respond accordingly right. That's why Very you can have intelligent yeah, people with voice. great comprehension, but they can also be arseholes, i.e. Yeah. House MD. Well, I say it all the time yeah. on other, other podcasts with very intelligent scientists yeah. and they are listening, but they're not necessarily wanting to change their own viewpoint or mm. add on anything, progress ideas. They they are well, just waiting to speak. A lot of that is mm. sunk cost though, isn't it? After you've spent so much time <laughs> representing mm. one idea. Yeah the idea of going back and, and aborting yeah. that work, mm. even though I don't consider it abortive, like that's the whole part of the process, right? Uh, but if people don't want to be the one who had to abort their idea, mm. they want to be the carrier of it, you know? Yeah. I, mean? mm. I wonder if that kind of ties into the idea of the universality of language. Like, mm. you know, you said earlier, there's a common substrate. You know, if I'm talking about mm. table to you, we kind of assume that we both know what, you know, that means. Could, would it be better for science as a whole and like i don't know conversation and the development of everybody's ideas if we gave up on the idea of ego or my Individual. project my idea yeah. and just kind of thought well you know here's another thing like if you know my work is getting aborted that's a really good question well if you look at like human needs um some of them some of the greatest needs that are listed is the needs to, you have different ones you have the need to be seen appreciated by others your work is appreciated so that's an mm. sort of ego things like i did this for the universe you know what i mean mm. i played my part another is power so mm. that's your ability to exert um your will over another and um so i guess that's that's the two things you're really looking for mm. <laughs> through conversation is either i did something which i guess is akin to belonging or uh vindication mm. and the other is power which is just a game so. Well, my feelings throughout this whole sort of podcast, I mean, there's been so many brilliant things that I've heard and I've wanted to respond to and I've not. And I think a part of an ego is this sort of need to respond to everything. And it's not even a negative thing or like, you know, someone who can't empathize. It's like just the ability to let things go and let a conversation flow. Yeah. A lot of that mm. it comes down to cutting things out that aren't yeah. that aren't necessarily that uh, disinterested. Like sometimes yeah. they are like really like interesting things, but the ability to let things go and move on and progress. What you speak of there is almost like tempo. Yeah, yeah. Like, to mm. to have exerted yourself would be to change the tempo yeah. of what's going on, rather than to orga organically have a tempo change. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, love that idea. That's really really beautiful idea actually i mean i relate to it a lot personally because i always try to you know impose my my own ideas but then you know i think it's definitely definitely right that sometimes you have to let things go but in terms of you know what i've learned from this this podcast i would say actually the rubber duck idea um because you know i've been talking to myself a lot and also verbalizing 
myself talk. So, you know, I would just walk mm. down the street and I'd just spout some absolute bollocks <laughs> <laughs> deliberately while I'm walking past the stranger. Caught, I have caught him doing that. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's a way for me to sort of feel like I'm there or something. But I'll literally, like, I was walking past people the other day, right? And I, and I, it was earlier today. I was earlier today. I was just, I was walking down to like a Braywick, you know, walking down this sort of like forest path, right? And I was sort of talking to myself with my earpods in it. Whenever somebody would go past, we're like, yeah, all right, Martin, I'll talk to you later on MS Teams. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to sort of like, you know, ex- explain them. <laughs> I was talking to <laughs> But it's... <laughs> You know, I think the idea of a rubber duck is, is very useful. And I wish at work I could, you know, that it was almost normal in the same way as you can have a stress ball. Obviously, yeah. it's not quite the same because you can silently, you know, you know, practice that stress ball. But you can't silently, if everybody in the office is talking to their rubber duck, be a big bit of a cacophony. But I just think that idea is, is, is really, um, yeah, really, really good idea. Yeah, I'd, I'd say for... Um... The biggest thing I've learned from from this uh, podcast is just the idea of conversation being the only way you can externalize what goes on in the inside. Mm. And to me, that's just, it makes me want to rethink how I think about conversation. I, I, quite often, I think it's quite pointless. But it's actually, it's making me think, well, maybe I didn't, I didn't consider like this is the only way I can mm. find out what goes inside a person. And then, Hopefully, I can take that into small talk and and maybe find more meaning out of it. Yeah, with the small, I was really, really. Uh, I, I do want to talk about the small talk yeah. a little bit, uh, if that's all right. Just because I think I've had a really similar experience to you. Of, I didn't feel like I was ever good at it. I felt yeah. like there was some game everyone was in on, and I, I didn't learn yeah. the rules, and I didn't. I just went straight to the intimacy, mm-hmm. and it was like I trust you or I don't, and. Small talk for me just felt like a waste of time. Yeah, I think as I've got older, I've realised actually people are just bad at small talk, and they talk about the weather stage one only, and then they mm. let that. And I just saw that as just oh, I don't want to do that. What's yeah. the point? But if if you do it properly, it could be a really really great way of meeting someone new or like finding something new about yourself. Because what would be an example of that from beginning with the stage one? I don't know. I mean, maybe. So, like the the most recent people I've met and become friends with, it's been very open, but we've not talked about anything in depth. It, it's and it's it's just this ability to trust the situation mm. over the person. I always thought it was a trust of the person, and therefore it's very scary mm. and you, they're unpredictable. But it's not. It's a trust of a of a situation. It's a trust of a oh, we're going to talk now, and whatever happens, happens. And that sort of philosophy change really helped me. So that's almost like, like what I was saying about Chinese, where it's it's more the verb than the subject of the object. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So interesting, Stephen. What about you, man? What have you <sighs> thoughts on the episode? Um, I think probably the the one thing which has kind of made me go kind of hold up was probably the things you've been saying about gossip. Because I don't know, just from from my personal experience, I've always. I've always hated it. I've I feel like I've often been a victim of bad gossip in my life, and like I've I've always just I think for that reason I've I almost never gossip about anyone else, and I I've seen that almost as a virtue, and I've been proud about it sometimes, and I get very annoyed when when other people start it, but at the same time as as I've got older, I've had this niggling doubt in the back of my mind, which is if people never gossiped you know, how would information get transferred? And I just kind of ignore it because it was just, you know, sometimes some topic really annoys you and you just don't want to think about it. And it was one of those things, but I think you're right. Like, I feel like if you didn't have gossip in a society, then you don't have like a back channel for information to propagate. That's really interesting. Because this is what you were saying, like it's an evolutionary thing. And I guess... I don't know it's always something that that's annoying because if if gossip exists then you have to be careful how you present yourself to some extent so people don't get the wrong idea or whatever and I uh but I think you're right like I've I've often found myself getting very annoyed with some people in my life because they've they've done that kind of thing and yeah 
maybe maybe it maybe it has a purpose and i have to just accept that <laughs> <laughs> but still not engaging <laughs> oh no well, well this is i don't know that i i think there's there's i i guess that this is a topic again in and of itself isn't it like at what point is gossip bad and at what point is it just communicating information about people you care like about it's okay to yeah. for me i don't know and i don't know why i necessarily draw this line but to speak of someone who is in a position of power above you yeah seems far more okay than someone who's an equal or lower yeah yeah yeah. no no i think you're right about that you're right about that and then for people who are on your like sometimes you know it might be like oh so and so you know i mean i think it's part of like a support network of you know you need to talk to other people tell people how you're feeling and if someone's not doing well like there needs to be some information but yeah i don't know I don't, I don't i don't know i feel like there are some people who make their entire life about gossiping and yeah. i i still yeah. i'm still i i've kind of growing to accept their role in society more it's but i'm not quite based there. on it <laughs> sorry yeah. there's an entire industry based on it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true that, that yeah. is true actually about that because you, you mentioned pete i'm gonna be honest i don't know who pete davidson is. i know one was kim pete kardashian davidson. i don't know the other one ariana what? grande and, he, and he's actually he's been spotted at uh, he's been spotted at a basketball game recently with um, Emily Ratajkowski. He's got to have a nine inch dick. <laughs> Wait, sorry, sorry. Who is this? Pete Davidson. Pete, Pete Davidson. He's, 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 he's a comedian. Yeah. And don't tell me another reason. I think I think his first celebrity girlfriend was Ariana Grande. Oh, and now he's just dating all of them. Now he's like serially dating. Do you know what it is? It's do a mix you, of his dick. Do you know what I genuinely think it reputation. is? I think he got like one really famous Certainly woman, and every other woman was like, "Why?" I want to know. <laughs> exactly. That's and now it's just getting. to pursue yeah. that question that's getting him. It's yeah, yeah. Guys, guys. Wasn't mate. the other guy who did that John Mayer? I mean, Jen Mayer, John Mayer was already famous, but I think he, John John Mayer. Your body is a wonderland. Yeah, and then I I think he went through like a string of very famous celebrity girlfriends, and then yeah. yeah. Look at this guys. We're conversing. <laughs> oh no, we got hey, guys. Good. <laughs> I think that's a good point to end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks uh, thanks for listening guys. This has been the Cosworth, Cosworth Course. Course.